a lot of long-term investors, family offices see Holy Grail asset. Holy Grail, right, in the Bible is something that uh, everybody wants, but it's tough to find, right? So investing is like that. What is the Holy Grail asset? Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as in retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill, and welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. We have an awesome guy on today, San Eng. He has an incredible backstory. He's a very successful entrepreneur and now investor in multifamily, and we're honored to have him on. Welcome on, San. Great to be here, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for spending the time with us. It's a, it's a privilege for sure. So you have an awesome backstory. We speak to entrepreneurs and business owners, and I met you through multifamily investing but I've since learned what your background is and how you got here. So I was hoping you could just give us a, a quick breakdown of your career path before you got to where we are today. Yeah, Brian, you just uh, being politely saying I'm a very old man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. You don't look um, it. I, I, thank you, but I, I am much older, so I have had uh, different flavors. Uh, typically, I like to look at my, uh, like to plan my career in, in tens of years. So, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I was primarily an entrepreneur, starting uh, a bunch of companies in tech and consumer. Uh, at the time, even before I turned 30, I raised over $70 million for, for my startups. Um, so that's, you know, I call that version 1.0. 2.0 is uh, in professional investing, venture capital, and private equity. And so fund one was $100 million. Uh, we had commitment for 350 for fund two. Then uh, at age 45, I decided to take a five-year sabbatical, aka midlife crises, yeah. uh, to spend time uh, with my kids, with my parents, uh, and, and until I was 50. And, and it was an amazing five years, travel the world, uh, the book and, and things like that. And then now I'm in version three, I suppose, which is playing with primarily my own and family's capital, uh, investing for generational wealth of which real estate, in particular multifamily, is a big piece of it. It's not the only piece, but also spending quite a bit of time thinking and learning education and as it relates to my kids and the community. Got it. And just for everyone to know what school and background you came from, it, it caught my eye. You did undergrad at Wharton, I believe, and then the International Business School. What I'm not familiar with that. Can you expand on just what that is? Um, it's actually embarrassing. I, I think I'm grossly overeducated for the value. <laughs> uh, I did Wharton undergrad. I did a, a executive at Wharton in portfolio management, sort of family office management. I went to Duke Fuqua twice, EMBA, did not get a degree. I finally got a degree from China Europe International Business School, which is actually SEEBS. It's China's oldest business school, and it's perpetually ranked top five or six globally business school uh, according to the financial times so it's actually a pretty good school okay and where did you grow up 
I grew up, uh, I was born in China uh, okay. and then first gen to uh, New York City. Got it. And are you yeah. in New York still, or I think you're in Florida and somewhere else, right? I mean, I've been, um, I'm fairly mobile. And so I, I have presence, if you will, physical presence. Uh, I'm currently in Toronto, um, where I'm spending some time with uh, my daughter and I also spent quite a bit of time in, in New York. And But I'm starting to file taxes this year in Florida, Tampa, where we have a lot of investments as well. Yeah, yeah. smart man, smart man. So you ended up, you mentioned writing a book at one point. What drew you to write that and how do you go about it? I think you involved some family members as well, didn't you? Yeah, um, so I'm going to do a little ad. So this book, um, it's called Ten Commandments of Investing. It's actually my second book. Uh, this this one's all over the place in, in, in Amazon. Uh, it actually became a Wall Street USA Today bestseller. It's the Ten Commandments of Investing, not as told by San or my, my co-author, which is my nephew, Tim, and my daughter, Ia. Um, they were seniors in high school and college at the time. Uh, it's really, we study the greatest investment wizards of all times globally. And we, we, what we found out was regardless if they did, you know, bonds or stocks or Bitcoin or, or real estate, they more or less follow the 10 commandments of investing. So, um, so this is really a Bible of what the greatest investors do and since writing the book, uh, we call this the 10 C's. This is how we invest at SkyTan. And it's also the reason why we chose real estate and multifamily as a, as a major asset class that we focus on for long-term generational investing. So this, but I want to make a plug for the book because it's going Portuguese, it's going Chinese and Spanish, it's going audio and all the proceeds uh, we donate to nonprofits and organizations that promote financial literacy. So wow. please buy the book. Wow. Um, and uh, we're just launching next month. Uh, research for the second book, which will be called The Ten Commandments of Generational Wealth. So this is strategies and principles, but it doesn't tell you exactly what to invest, like why multifamily versus Bitcoin versus something else. And so we'll do 100 interviews of self-made billionaires and just rock stars. And then from that, condense that into the Ten Commandments of to Generational Wealth. Are, are you recording these interviews or are these private interviews that you'll distill down to... The contents of yeah. the next book. Uh, great question. So, so even for the first book, we we did a number of interviews of, like for example, we interviewed Kathy Shi. Kathy was on the cover of Forbes China. She was ranked by Forbes Global as the number two VC in the world after isn't, Mary Meeker. Isn't she sure like the Chinese version of Warren Buffett a little bit? Is that a fair statement? Uh, Buffett Buffett's a mentor. Uh, yeah, she's more of a VC, but. But, you know, uh, we had a few self-made billionaires, even in the first book, they're just friends or people that I work with. And so those were like really, we did 60 minute to our interviews and we, we did publish them, but they had like five views. <laughs> but the, the, the learnings came into, because we, we didn't promote those videos and, and nobody wants to watch a two hour video of San, even if it's Kathy, uh, but the learnings came into this book. Right. And so, so it was, it was amazing. So we're going to leverage the first book and do another hundred, but even more crazy, crazy successful investors for the second book. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How, how do you get a hold of a hundred billionaires? Uh, we did about 30 for the book one. I come from VC private equity. So a lot of the folks were just people that I've known for many years. Um, and, um, you know, when you approach it correctly, we're, we, we want to study them to include in a book that also includes learnings from Warren Buffett. 
but also, you know, it's learning exercise. Um, and, and I think I can approach the right way that people want to share, right? Successful people want to share. So I don't have a hundred yet, but I already have five billionaires committed for the second book. Oh, that's impressive. I'm definitely going to read and, that and, book. And, and I'd love to watch self made, Self-made billionaire. Not, okay. not, not. Yeah, I, I, I care about folks that actually made their own money and preserving that intergenerational wealth. That, I mean, right, I, I don't really care about someone that just inherited and <laughs> has no clue what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but, but, you know, the criteria isn't a billionaire. The criteria is really learning how to create and sustain generational wealth. So if we dive into, I haven't honestly read the entire Ten Commandments of Investing. I quickly skimmed through it uh, yesterday. But... There are some things that stuck out to me that I sort of wanted to dive mm-hmm. into. And there's, there's 10 points, and obviously we don't have time to go over all 10 of them. But two that kind of stuck out to me that I feel like are in my mind right now. It was called respect the market was one of the points you had. But then you also had don't be a dead fish. And maybe you could explain what those two are about. And my, my question, follow-up question will be how, in my mind, sometimes they contrast each other and how to get your head straight. Respect to market and don't follow the dead fish are actually sequential as opposed to contrasting, right? Respect to market means men, most investors, but especially men, especially young men, tend to think they can generate alpha, tend to think they can be better than beta. Beta obviously is the market. Alpha is what you generate to beat the, to beat the beta. And studies have shown that most returns... I'm not talking about trading. I'm talking about long-term investing are actually respecting the beta of the market. So when you invest with the rising tide, it lifts everything, right? So follow the, follow the trends but and don't think you're, you're going to be smarter than the, the general if, market. If the market is going down 50%, even if you're the best stock picker, it don't matter. Okay. It matters a lot less than, than the market, the, the beta. And so as a young man investor, I, I did try to train pick stocks and, and I wasn't very good at it. But I, I would say most people that think they can beat the market as opposed to respect the market and follow the trends is not doing as well as they, they like, essentially. Okay, so respect the market and follow the trends. But then what's the don't dead be the dead, the dead fish? How is that yeah, not yeah. don't follow what everyone else does? Like that, that's what my mind was like, how do I? Well, I mean, I, I think that's actually very easy to understand, especially in today's social media world, TikTok world is just because it's on TikTok or on CNBC doesn't mean that's the market. That's Got just it. So a market and a trend are different. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Social, right. It could the, be a social the, the, trend. The dead fish. The dead fish do like, you know, I, I do, I, I'm a huge Elon, Tesla, SpaceX, any the Elon fan. And if you do the research and really understand what Elon does for all his companies. So I'm early in Tesla. I'm, I, I have shares of SpaceX. I'm trying to get into Neuralink and others. If you really do the research, he's published these secret plans, which are not very secret. He's cheeky about it. And he's executing flawlessly according to plan. It's better than the China's five-year, the government-issued five-year plan. But on a, So he, Elon basically just follows what he publishes in his secret plans, which is long-term plans. He's, he's just secret plan number three is out. And if you look at what he's done, he's doing it. He is incredibly executing according to plan. But on a day-to-day basis, because clickbait needs to generate ads, and, and, and they will say stupid things. That is a dead fish. 
Got it. So sort of like don't follow the lemmings, I guess would be another way of saying. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I, that, that sounds pretty good too. We might change that. <laughs> don't be a lemming. Uh, don't version be a lemming. Two, version yeah. two. Um, you also had a, some comments in there about diversifying and not over-diversifying. And I think a lot of the topics we cover on this podcast is trying to go against the common narrative. I think we're told if you read the news or you go to Yahoo Finance and you know whatever their advice is, there's never a comment that you can over-diversify. But you had a different perspective on that. If you go to business school, remember I went, I went to, I paid for two Duke business school MBAs. I paid for SEEPs and finished that, but I also went to Wharton twice. They will tell you, and I, I attended an executive program in portfolio management for family offices. And what they teach you is to diversify 40 stocks, 50 stocks. That's garbage. It's okay. garbage. Uh, Buffett has a famous quote. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it says. You basically diversify into being an average. Just buy an index. If you don't do your homework, if you don't know what you're doing, you're lazy, you buy 60, 100 stock. If you do your homework, you determine intrinsic value and you're buying at the right price, you don't need 50 stock, right? Yeah. So re multifamily is an example. Uh, 200 units of multifamily is quite diversified industry-wise versus one single family. Now, certainly Tamper is a lot better than auto market. So you have to do that work and you need to know the pricing, right? So I'm not, I am 70, 80%, uh, maybe more like 70% in multifamily. Okay. So, uh, well, you want asset class, but it's not true. Tamper, 100 units have five or six industries. What are the chances of six industries and a cash flow asset all going down at once? Not very high. And you're referring to your and, tenants, basically, that their jobs mm -hmm. and careers are diversified. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. If, if I'm in Vegas, I might be 90% tourism. I'm not as diversified. Or if I'm... Uh, uh, five five units as opposed to two hundred. I might I might be uh, the cost is a bit more predictable. Is really the, the the revenue side. The same thing with stocks. Holding Tesla. I'm holding solar. I'm holding AI. I'm holding transport. I'm holding energy. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like it. That's like a public venture capital fund that cash flows. So I don't need twenty stocks. In fact, I only have two public stocks: Tesla and Microsoft. Right now. And I have a, a, a few more private stock and I can sleep really well at night. Yeah, no, we had talked about SpaceX as well. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Someday yes, soon, hopefully. We did. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, listen, Brad, I'm not sure if I'm right, um, but that's how Buffett invests. Uh, he obviously has a lot more capital, a lot more resources. Um, Mark Cuban's like that. So the, the, there are a lot of successful people that don't like 50 is just the average. You should pick the five or the 50 as opposed <laughs> to do the 50. <laughs> anyway, so I follow that path a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a financial advisor saying that oh, we're going to diversify. We're going to do these active funds and there's hundreds of stocks in there. And then you compare the performance mm. of them. It's like, it's just, it's matching an index basically at that point. And except so they, make, they make money off of the, it. Well, follow the money, Brian. The FA works for a bank is probably less educated, less successful than you. He, how is he being paid? Assets under management. If he's that good, why is he getting paid at a bank salary trying to get your money? Yeah. I don't use that face. I just do my own homework. And I, his boss wants him to trade a certain index because they get a higher commission at the index. You don't know that, but you have to assume that. I'm not saying all, 
All I'm yeah. saying is, why, why, why is he sitting at, at that retail bank branch being an FA telling me what to do? He doesn't know me. He's not smarter than me. I'm not that smart, but if I did my homework, I don't think he's necessarily smarter than me, right? So yeah, and I think he's there for people yeah. that don't that don't want to do their homework and basically. And that's you not only, you. You can only invest in what that's you know, you. and that's what I, I always heard from some successful people: is invest in what you know. And that's that's almost better than diversification or broad diversification. Well, if you give this guy this bank a million dollars because you're lazy, and then this FA and the bank isn't really aligned with your interests, then you're basically saying do what you will with the money, right? That's what you're saying. Yep. Well, that, that's why I went down this path of getting educated <laughs> and learning and learning how I can do it myself. So I, I give him one year of my money. I was like, no, no, we're not going to be doing this. We're not, yeah, my, my gut yeah. and what's interesting is my gut was right. I had a gut feeling, mm -hmm. and for some reason I ignored it because everyone around me said, "No, this is what you're supposed to do," and I did it. And the whole time, I'm like, man, just my gut's telling me that yeah. this is not it's not what I should be doing because I also have the time and knowledge. And I feel like the brain power that I can I can educate myself. So you yeah. did that with your Ten Commandments that directs your entire investments now, and you said you're putting. What, over over seventy percent into multifamily for people that haven't yet read your book or that maybe aren't as familiar with multifamily. What's the quick why of why multifamily after all these different asset classes you've looked at? Yeah, so you know we belong Brian to the same multifamily group. Um, my background is a little weird in the sense that I, as an investor, I've invested in all types of asset classes. U.S., Canada, China, Asia, whether it's infrastructure, power, blockchain, technology, consumer, and different types of real estate. So I've done different asset classes in different geographies. And At a very high and elite level as well. That's why I'm so interested about your perspective from this beyond just people that only do multifamily. You've been in a lot of different areas. And yet mm -hmm. for your personal yeah. wealth, that's where you're putting a lot of it. So when I took my five year sabbatical slash midlife crises between <laughs> ages 45 to 50. I call mine a midlife um, rebalancing, just so you know, it sounds uh, good. <laughs> okay. That's not, yeah, I guess sabbatical sounds pretty good too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of studying for, for the book, but also for that. And a lot of long-term investors, family offices see holy grail asset, holy grail, right? In the Bible is something that uh, everybody wants, but it's tough to find, right? So investing is like that. What is the holy grail asset? And a holy grail asset is performs well in all markets. It, 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 and, and from a family office generational standpoint, it, it, it should do well long-term, has cash flow, it, it, it uh, mitigates taxes. It can be a lot more, a lot, not necessarily 100% passive, but it certainly shouldn't be as crazy as doing technology startup. Yeah. Um, and so if you pitch multifamily, in particular U.S. multifamily, and I've looked at Canadian side and other markets, U.S. multifamily against other real estate classes and other asset classes, multi, large multi, and some smaller multis in U.S. is the only one I found that's truly closest to the holy grail. There may be others. But I've done on quite a few asset classes. Now, it doesn't mean you make more money as a monkey because you could be a tech investor or be a crypto guy and make a lot more. But I'm talking about a steady generational wealth creation, which is what I'm looking for following the 10C, multi fits the bill. 
and to expand on why it's, why it's the holy grail, you don't invest in Class A, I believe. You, class, you invest mostly in workforce housing, correct? I have not yet invested in Class A beyond smaller ones, but I'm not averse to it. I mean, again, holy grail to me is a long-term generational wealth creation asset that can be less active, not necessarily entirely, right? obviously as an LP, you could be passive, but when deals go south, LPs just, um, so it's not, enti- but, it, but managing even as a lead GP in a multi is so much easier in many ways than let's say investing in a tech startup and sitting on the okay. board. And I've done a lot of those, right? Uh, because you're, you're talking about regulatory tech risk, CEO risk, all kinds of risks, but a multi is cash flowing in particular, in particular and you do some value add, but it's not, you know, it's not gut wrenching necessarily. Um, then there's a steady returns. We talked about diversification of income from tenants, and then you you know about the taxes, right? Yeah. So and then obviously you've got leverage. Why multifamily instead of you know people will be pitched things like farmland or self storage. So I've invested in farmland in Canada into a fund. And I looked at U.S. I have not invested in U.S. farmland. At least in Canada, returns in the past 60 years have not uh, matched even close to multi. I'm not even considering taxes. Taxes are very different in Canada versus U.S. Yeah. I know that storage and mobile home parks, along with multi long-term, again, I'm always talking long-term, are the top three real estate asset classes. So one may do better in storage. And I have friends that do small mobile home parks that actually have staggering returns. Uh, but again, for me, it's as much as lifestyle and scale. I looked at mobile home parks. I have no interest in going to fix a $3 million, $5 million home park deal in the middle of nowhere, especially as an Asian kid in America, <laughs> <laughs> to make extra income. I love doing what I do in Tampa or other markets where I can live in enjoy my life. And there's a lot more motis from a scale standpoint, right? In Tampa, in Nashville, in Dallas, then that can help me scale up. So it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm not arguing that multi necessary is better than RVs or whatnot. They're all great asset classes. It's just a lifestyle and, and a scale choice that I've chosen. Okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. And what's common among all those three that is unspoken of what we're saying right now is they all have a constrained mm-hmm. supply, I guess you'd say. Maybe not self-storage, yeah. but when it comes to RV parks, you're, and you're not building more of those. Those are those are hard to get done, and there's not a lot of new ones yeah. coming online. Yeah, yeah, I haven't looked at it, but that, that's a good question, Brian. I, I, always, I would imagine the scale of number of potential deals in RVs overall and the size of the deals are very different between multi and yeah, true. RV parks. Uh, but again, for me, it's just the ones that I looked at are not in downtown St. Pete or in a cool area of Tampa. I, I don't really want to make money, not make money driving six hours to the middle of nowhere. You don't want to go to the middle of Arkansas on a, for a weekend trip to go check on your, uh, weekend trip. Okay. <laughs> but, but deals go, go bad that, you know, not every deal goes smooth. Right. So it's probably, you have to assume that it's, it may be a bit more than a weekend trip in some deals. 
Right. So what's wor- so. what's working for you right now in 2023 as far as apartments and investing? Are you on the sidelines? Are you waiting? We're extremely active. I would say hyperactive. In the past six months, I have a New Jersey deal contract to sell. We just sold one in Clearwater. Uh, Dunedin is almost done selling. Uh, I just did a refi in New Jersey. Two, uh, yeah, a refi in New Jersey. And then there's a couple of deals that needed uh, a bit more capital because they were on bridge loans. So we just uh, finished raising money for those. So it's been extremely focused on exiting the less desirable assets, getting out more cash, uh, shoring up the capital base of the portfolio that we are keeping. And we're, we're actively looking as well. We, we have an LLI accepted in a Jacksonville deal, the Class B, a $40 million deal. I'm hoping that goes to contract. Yeah, so 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 we're we're still looking and active. How about you? Yeah, we're uh, we're ramping up to at least be more out there. Like even if we're not winning a deal, we still want to be hunting and active. I guess you would yeah. say, and working by a set of rules and guidelines that when they work, the deal will close, and if it doesn't work, we will pass, and that's fine. And not making sure that we don't fall into uh, chasing the crowd. I guess you would say. It's not yeah. happening right now, but it could happen. So um, I've had some good conversations this last weekend to finally start getting our feet wet again and, and, and getting out there, but mostly just to see what's yeah. going on, if that makes sense. Sorry, just to follow on to that, you know, it's interesting. Uh, as, a, as we talked earlier, we, we now have 13,000 folks in our book slash investors database. And we're seeing, obviously, a big slowdown in multi and real estate overall, but also a bit more activity in some of the latest age tech. So we've talked about this recently. We will offer more shares of SpaceX. We didn't do that deal, but we're seeing uh, pre-IPO shares of uh, other hot companies. We've been trying to get OpenAI, uh, uh, trying to get into Neuralink and Boring Tunnel, some of the other companies. Um, so there, there seems to be uh, some of the other opportunities. And, and so so I'm also hoping to to get in one of these uh, very sexy, uh, sexy in a good fundamental way, uh, uh, innovation companies uh, as well. Got it. And can you explain to people that aren't familiar, and I've only learned in the last year, how anyone can even participate in a SpaceX, which is obviously not a public company right now. Obviously, you have connections and previous experience in VC and private equity. However, those shares are actually tradable. You can purchase them as a private person. Can you explain to people that have no idea, which I didn't a year ago, how that works when like a SpaceX is private, yet you say you're you're attempting to obtain some of the of the shares. So a, a, a lot of the super success for technology companies is not always technology. It could be farmer, but often in technology, they're they're funded by seed investors in Series A, Series B, five, ten, you know, years ago. And they may be uh, individual, they often they're funds and, and funds have a fun life. Sometimes it's seven years, sometimes it's 10 years. And so there's an expectation of exit, even though even a company's good. And so there are a lot of companies now because the IPO market also isn't there that needs to exit. Or it could just be an employee or founder that is sitting on 200 million and just wants to, wants to expect an IPO last year and there's no IPO, no liquidity. 
and just wants to take 50 million off the table. So these are what's called secondaries from, from employees, uh, from angel investors, from, from institutions. And, and then there are, sometimes it's just through friends that are employees there that, that say, oh, you know, I, I want to sell 10 million. My friend, my colleagues want to sell 10 million. Uh, sometimes it's through uh, f uh, VC funds that, that, that want to sell or sometimes it's through brokers. So you just have to be in the market. It's just like hunting for multi-deal in the in, in Tampa yeah. or in Afro. And, and then it's just like doing a deal in multi. If you've never done a deal in Tampa, the brokers don't take you seriously. But if you, if you did SpaceX two years ago, as we did, then if it comes up again, they'll, they'll shop it to you again. <laughs> then it's a matter of really um, uh, assessing the pricing and, and a lot, a lot of times um, these are super hot deals and, and you don't have a lot of time for diligence. Got it. But I'll be it's fine. So yeah. And also, also uh, again, this is coming back to the book. Like, like if you follow certain sectors and certain companies, I follow everything Elon does. So, so I know what he's doing with Neuralink and boring and SpaceX. And so anything that comes up, I know I want it. The question is really the valuation and the, and the structure, right? So I can make a very quick decision. So like right now, I'm spending quite a bit of time on, on AI and, and studying Microsoft and OpenAI and playing all the different apps. So that if something like that comes up, I don't have to spend a month doing the diligence. I already know I, what I want that company in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. to me, it's just fun. It's fun learning it. So it's not work. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, following, following anything Elon Musk is always... It's always interesting. SpaceX is a giant privately owned semi-monopoly almost at this point in, in some ways. The, mm -hmm. the backstory is San had, had um, offered to possibly buy into that. It ended up not working out, but it will soon. But I uh, was very interested when I saw that and quickly. And that, that's actually a, a perfect example is that was the second time I had come across SpaceX shares that were available. And the first time the valuation was absurd that I think it was a broker or something like that. And I passed on it simply based on what the, the most current raise was last time they went to raise capital. And I think they were trying to sell these shares at double that. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, I don't know much, good. but I'm pretty sure you. that's yeah. probably not a good deal. And uh, passed, obviously. And they were looking for sucker retail investors, I, I think, to uh, snap. Not you. Up. You did your homework. Well, I didn't know what the right. value was, but I knew what the value wasn't. And I knew that there's no <laughs> way that that could be the values. Let's, let's transition into Genfire, which I first heard about from you at one of our mastermind groups. And would you consider this like your legacy project or just your next passion? Or I guess you had said that this actually is something you've been working on for a while under a different name. And it has to come, it comes down to financial literacy and why don't you explain what Genfire is and like what the purpose sure, of, of sure. that is? I think it's all of those things, Brian. Uh, so to me, having done so many things, I, I, I love projects that's kind of just flow into it. It's not contrived. So Genfire really is a lot of natural factors in my life. Uh, and so, uh, as you know, I have three daughters. Uh, they're now 16, 17, 19. So I've always encouraged them to do what, you know, to study whatever they want to study. Uh, one wants to join the Peace Corps, one wants to be an art architect. But I, I encourage or all my, because I, I came first gen, I'm very poor. And I know that money doesn't necessarily, money isn't all, always what you need, but you need money to, to, do, to do things. So, so especially with my daughters, my, my mission is to, to, to help them, empower them to be financially free 
by age 21. It sounds a little crazy, but we're going to get there. And so that's been many years in the, in the making, uh, culminating in my 19-year-old having done her first deal last summer, a multi-million dollar deal, which will her share of the profits will pay for her first year of university. And her goal this summer is to do a larger deal to pay for the next three years. It's not a concept. It's been years in the making, but it's, it's happening. But what I just said sounds nice, but the pain, <laughs> uh, the mistakes we made, uh, um, there's a lot of things that I could do a lot better. Um, long story short, it is extremely difficult for a father and a teenager to work together long-term to close a multifamily deal. It's excruciating for me, but probably 10 times more for her. And so Gen5 evolved that in talking to parents like you, um, a lot of parents with kids older than you, we're experiencing the same issues. We all want the same, we all want to teach our kids investing and to be financially capable, but we all have, we all don't know how to do it because schools don't teach that. As yeah. you said, I'm way overeducated for nothing in many ways. Yeah. And they, they don't teach me this stuff. And so Genfire, I just, we, we decided, listen, you know, it's purely selfish. If I could get together a whole bunch of parents and we can share best practices, we can sort of cry over beers and then the, their kids can sort of form peer groups. And then I can enable my, all my three kids to get Genfire faster. What sort of, what's some examples of things that she would be learning? Well, I mean, you can look at from books. So maybe in three, five years for your kids, you could force feed them rich dad, poor dad and uh, four hour work week. Right. So those are the two books that I force fed my kids between eight to 12, which most parents, but especially Asian parents, you know, you're supposed to go to Ivy league as I did and get a job. And that's just bollocks. I don't believe that. I did that didn't help me. So my kids know that you don't trade time for money. That's Kiyosaki, right? Uh, and then my kids know that you could be financially able not working 40 hours a week by being smart like Tim Ferriss using virtual assistants and technology. Those two books don't teach you how to invest, which is a big reason why we did this book. This, this is Principles of Investing by the World's Greatest Wizards. Um, and so, so I like to very immodestly, but obviously uh, call this a trilogy um, because this is how I follow my investing. Um, but the mindset was really triggered by those, right? So, so, so there's a lot of that, um, but tactically, how do you teach a 16 year old how to underwrite multifamily? I sponsor her for Brad Sumrock, but me watching the videos and me talking to you isn't the same as her talking to you, right? So there's a lot of these issues. How do you deal with the emotions and, and, and right? So, 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 well, it would be a lot easier if she would appear group of five other teenagers. And then instead of me jumping in for my daughter, maybe you go teach my daughter. As and is the, is, is the resistance she right. ran into, because I have a two-year-old and four-year-old, so I haven't run into <laughs> these things yet, but is resistance... <laughs> lack of interest or lack of understanding of what the concepts are or um, lack of motivation? She's a of teenager. So it's a three-year journey before her first deal. And, you know, part of her is COVID, part of her school. So she'll be away for six months. And I'd be frustrated because I've lined up stuff for her. And then she'll come back, right? And then she doesn't understand why necessarily why you have to go underwrite 20 deals to make an offer. It's just these things, these things are frustrates you, right? I'm sure it's going to frustrate yeah. your sons. 
so a lot of these things. So, so it, it, you know, so the, there's a power of a community as opposed to just father and daughter. So also lack of, I guess, work experience and knowing yeah. how to, I mean, to grind things out and to have a delayed, even for a delay, 20, delayed yeah. gratification. Even for a 25-year-old, it's very difficult because it's not like you – now, you, you could be a bad parent and just give it to her. But if you wanted to earn it, like the deal that year closed, she underwrote dozens of deals. I didn't tell her to buy that one. She ran the numbers, and we arrived at the same conclusion. She met with the seller, right? We negotiated together. She ran the property analyzer. She wrote the webinar deck. She pitched the investors. She knew she earned it. Okay. Yeah, That's do, do different kids... than me doing the work and just putting on a pedestal and faking it. Even if you didn't know it as an outsider, she knows in her heart she didn't earn it. That's not how they parent. But to, to, to get her to get there, it, it's not overnight, right? It, it, it takes some effort, especially on her part. Any, any child's part, I think. Thinking back to my little kids, do you think that your kids understand the trading time for money? Or is it just something that dad told us we should do? Or they, they really see and feel and think it? Or True story. do you have to True experience story. that out in the world and then to come back and know why it's valuable? They, they understand it. So, so um, I, I recently was asked this. Um, kids, maybe not your son's age, but as they get older, especially tweens and teens, their inclination is to resist and to think daddy, mommy is not cool. So whatever you say, it's always the opposite, right? So when, when, when I gave them the books, which uh, Ferris and Kiyosaki, I had to force feed them. This is between age, uh, ages 8 to 12. They did read it because I tracked it. They didn't like it. At least they didn't express mm-hmm. they liked it. And then we forgot about it. So when year turned six, I think it was 16, she, I said, hey, you know, we're going to be doing college soon. What do you want to do? What kind of job? She said, I don't, don't want to get a job. Like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to do passive income. What do you mean? Where'd you get that from? So it did you, stick. You, you, you said, you, you, you mm-hmm. forced me, Kurosaki. She remembers, mm-hmm. right? You know, don't be just, I, I, you know, I, I, if I had known sooner, I, I, I would get frustrated because I'm like, do this, and then they would make a face. But I think that they do remember. Kids are smart. Like, even if they say they hate you and they don't like it, if you're saying, I'm doing this because it's good for you, whatever, I think it'll come back. I think it's, in a, you know, they feel it, right? So, so yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going off the tangent. I wasn't sure of the original question, but I, I, I think that... No, no, that that, 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 that that was the exact question of just, you can give your kids this information, but does it stick? Do they actually understand it? We obviously go out in the real world and had followed the model and then come back and you know read these books and get knowledge afterwards. So we have we have the negative experience to understand why why not yeah. tra- trading time for, time for money makes sense, I guess kids that don't have jobs and haven't experienced money and careers and all the stress that comes with that. I'm curious how you convey that to them. So you said you basically just put the information there and at some point it clicked. So to connect that, you said your girls are, are going to college and you also said you were overeducated in college and schooling didn't help you. So how do you <laughs> reconcile those two? Do you make your kids go to school just to have the stamp and the experience or is there some value in college and higher education I think that's a great question, Brian, is also a, the answer is probably evolving and de- it depends on who it is. Um, so 
I think we've been very lucky because my kids went early on to school in a fairly good program in Shanghai and in Asia they bake in you a a certain discipline that I think is often lacking in the Western world. So my three daughters are just very naturally good students. We never have to chase them. They're, they're just natural A students, even in, in the most competitive schools. I'm not boasting, they're just very lucky. Uh, I think a lot of that is just the whole system there. Um, and it, that's partly by design. We wanted them to go to a certain age in China, in, in Taiwan, uh, and have that ingrained in them uh, beyond language, but the whole discipline system. So, 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 so I think that worked. So my message to them even early on is I will pay for their education at age 18. They're on their own. I'm sticking with that. It doesn't mean that at age 18, they have money to pay for $80,000, I believe, but I will lend them the money for the expectations. They pay me back and they believe okay. that they believe that. So right now my number two has gotten to a pretty decent program in the States. We're Canadian resident PR that she is, and she's gotten to some top schools here. The Delta is like probably a hundred thousand all in, in the U S a year versus 15, 20,000 here in Canada or similarly. Right. And I'm, we're not telling her where to go, but she is she's, she's running the numbers in the head. And this is as recent as two days ago, we say, if you want to go to the US one, and she's waiting for a few more, <laughs> you just have to do a real estate deal, your choice, right? And she understands that. I think that's a fair compromise, right? If yeah. You want to be you... hanging out with your best friends in the US school because US is more fun for whatever reasons. Fine, spend a summer or Christmas or Easter, learn to do a deal. I'll lend you the money until you close the deal. That's smart. That's, that's real smart. It, hey, it hasn't backfired yet uh, yeah. so far. So, but you know, we're, we're not quite, you know, n number one is there. Number two, number three is still, still we'll have to see. Well, so to cycle <laughs> back on your, your, your education comment, I would say my education from kindergarten through sixth or eighth grade, I went to a private, very difficult private school that I really feel set me and my brother and sister up for the rest of schooling was easy. Because it was, they taught the discipline, the self-study, the self-learning, the grit that you need throughout life. And really after sixth or eighth grade, there was nothing that was really thrown at me that challenged me anymore to that degree. Like if I wanted to get A's, I could just try hard. If I wanted to just float through and not, mm -hmm. I wasn't interested, I would cruise through B's, B minuses. But it, I had the skill and the backbone there to, to accomplish it. And really everything after that, I don't want to say it was a waste, but it, it should have be self, been self-focused at that point. Yeah. What am I interested in? What are my yeah. skills? And that may be the direction we take with our kids. We'll see. But it's interesting what, how what school, education school, will probably... That sounds like a great school. Which school is that and where is it? It was, it was just a, a private school in the Sacramento Valley, basically, in California. Uh, but it was small. Okay. It was small and it had very driven, passionate teachers. Were, were you surrounded by Asian people, Asian students? There were a lot of Asian <laughs> students in the school. Um, that, there was that, that makes a difference. That makes a difference. There, <laughs> and even with, without that, there was an expectation. The yeah, expectations yeah. were set and the skills were there of the people educating you. And every family member was on board. Like there was just a mm -hmm. very clear direction that students were going. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so Genfire, cycling background to Genfire, you're trying to expand this out to other people and families and go broader with it. 
I know you, you have goals. What's your, what's uh-huh. your goal with this? It, it, well, is this going to be the, the next Sylvan Learning Center for, uh, you know, alternate education? Or is this a small group that will stay small? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the selfish number one motive is I want to be sure Ia stays motivated and learns the best way. Not Again, not necessarily from me because it, we're surrounded by so many amazing people within our group so that she can take down maybe a $10 million deal as a deal too. Or at first, it was $2.2 million. And then she gains more confidence experience and she can motivate Chloe, who's 17, and Bella, who's 16, to do the same. Uh, that's the number one selfish, pure parenting. And I've got a couple more years to make sure that happens. And the experience with Ear has, again, it was, it was a three-year process. It wasn't easy. It was rewarding, but it wasn't easy. It was a lot of crying, a lot of yelling. A lot of crying, yelling, a lot of her crying, and some of my crying <laughs> because you know it got pretty intense. It, 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 I mean, really, I mean, and so my thinking is, I could probably learn from you. I could learn from other parents. There are the parents that we have met that are ahead of us, and there are parents that are behind us. But we we can share notes. We can set up peer groups, and then if nothing else, if I could help accelerate or improve my daughter's chances of gen firing by age 21, then gen fire for me all the time would be a hundred X investment, but why not make it bigger? Because if we make it bigger to inspire, then we attract more better parents. We attract more folks that we can talk to, to learn from. So, so yeah, maybe the, the longer term goals, let's get to a million people. Let's inspire a million people. It, we, ha- we haven't launched, we haven't even launched yet. So we're still playing with it, but I, you know, but the, the selfish motive is, is very clear to me is to stick here to the daughters, empower them. But, you know, uh, the community helps us get there, right? Got it. Well, I can't wait to see where it goes. You you moved pretty quick on it from the first time oh, really? I heard about it. <laughs> I was impressed. Yeah. yeah. So to wrap up, I just wanted to cycle around on the 10th point in your 10 commandments of investing book, which was mind your mind. And can you expand or just give us a tidbit of what you mean by that. I know you mentioned med- meditation. I always ask all guests, what's one little skill or tool or app that they use to focus on their mindset or how they think about money or life and work-life balance. So what do you mean by mind your mind? Yeah. So I think maybe just two layers of answers to that, Brian, in, in, from the book in, in having study, you know, the Buffets of the world. I didn't do it live in the Buffett, but we studied Buffett to Kathy. She, we did talk live and, and some, some of the folks we actually work with, I mean, there's this consistency, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what you invest in. It doesn't really matter what career you're in, uh, and, and you could have the right strategies and right tools set for education, but if you're not consistently with the right mind, you just can't, you just can't, you, you might get, if you're a hedge fund guy and you might get a great year, but to do consistent generational returns and to do whatever long-term, you just need to have a, uh, you just need to mind the mind, right? And, and what that means is, is um, I guess a couple levels is one is, uh, you know, what our group does, we set pretty stretch goals, right? Right. It's very Elon, yep. it's very Brad, it's very Tony Robbins. You set large goals and whether you announce it or not, you go for it. So it's just that sort of a can-do attitude, big goals, right? And and then and then just having the grit to follow through. I mean, it's it's really that simple. Now, whether you use an, an app or 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 something else. For me, I I'm not very good at meditating consistently. So I I'm also have a bit of ADD. I get bored easily, and so 
uh, I try to just do these, you know, Isla calls them misogis, but I've been doing them every year. Every year I, I push myself to do something, you know, it could be a marathon. This past January, I did my first triathlon Olympic. Um, so I'm just trying to plan something that people say you can't do it. Just, no, I'm going to do it, right? Right. And so if you can do a triathlon, then closing a multifamily deal doesn't sound that hard. So, so I don't really have a specific two set. I, I just think it's just the overall mentality uh, that um, I'm still trying to work on, but I, I see that very, very consistently and universally amongst okay. the greatest. So, yeah. So consistency of challenging your mind, focusing on it, making sure it has confidence. It doesn't have to be confidence in the skill you're using, confidence somewhere else, like you say, a triathlon builds that that grit and consistency which gives you yeah. hopefully hopefully a win which you can carry on yeah i i would say that that would be the number one thing i would say to cycle back around is probably missing in school the mindset and thought process and you know how you manage your emotions how you manage your the filters to which you look at life and look at money look at jobs and careers look at problems versus you know resolutions abundance versus scarcity all those things, I would say, if I was going to include one thing in your um, Gen Fire, would probably be those aspects as well. As well, mm. are probably things that are lacking from general education, which we spend every mastermind. One of the guest speakers usually will be somehow focused on mindset or mind or strategy or you know confidence or seeing through problems. So it's. It's in the education that we're still getting as well. So, yeah, well, I, I think was, 100% agree. Yeah. Well, it's awesome having you on. I, I appreciate your time. I love getting to know more about you and what you're doing. If people want to follow you, they want to find out more about Gen Fire, you know, your website and all the different social media contacts we'll put in the notes. Is there any specific one you want to highlight right now? Uh. Um, again, I, I'm going to just pitch the book. Uh, we're, we, we're, we're trying to get more books to, to, uh, make some money, but then again, donate to, to schools that think organizations to promote literacy. So it's 10 commandments investing sent in it's in Amazon it's sold in a lot of places, but we could also go to, go to our website, which is, um, uh, sky S K Y T I A N capital.com. Uh, we're, we're pretty active. I've got a very great content team uh so we're pretty pretty active sharing the the knowledge that we're learning awesome that is awesome and hopefully an, an audiobook soon for the audiobook people like me that love to listen in their car what, yeah would you read it or do you hire someone um actually yeah my daughter has this really amazing broadcaster's voice so she has said she would do it but she been so busy with school that she keeps pushing it back so I, i'd like her to read it uh and then maybe like the spanish version we'll use like open ai or something <laughs> that's, that's awesome <laughs> right? that's awesome but the english version and maybe the mandarin version i'd like her to read it because her train yeah uh, uh 